For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. And uh, if we're ready, I'll just briefly introduce Co. Uh, Carol Orson, who is uh, on our uh, board of directors at Ancient Dragon, is a, a veteran practitioner who's practiced at, extensively at, at Tassajara and Green Gulch. And uh, I'm very happy to have you giving the talk tonight, Co. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, so. Um, I'm very grateful for this opportunity. Um, when Tigan asked me to offer this talk, um, news had just come to our family that a dear friend of my daughter's had been killed. Um, he'd been killed in Ukraine. And when it was clear to me that the date was Memorial Day, I thought I would share um, something about his life. Um, and also, I was hoping that I would be able to come to terms with it um, through Dharma teachings that I've received. And in many ways, I'm still very confused about how to orient to this particular death. Um, but hopefully my, my talk has helped me clarify my confusion. I have not released it. So I'd like to share some of my thoughts around that. Um, Cooper Turner Andrews, uh, or his nom de guerre, was Harris um, because he used Harris electronic equipment. But let's go back a little bit. Um, my daughter knew him, um, I think, from middle school. He was in the vocal music program. Um, he was 26 when he died. And so I'll just kind of hold that also. My daughter also is 26. And in middle school, he was telling his friends about the injustice that was coming with Putin's rise to power. And he was very engaged in injustice and injustices of the world. And continued to be so throughout as he as he as he grew in his understanding of history and how humans have treated each other, he was moved to the side of justice and liberation. He worked for racial equality. He helped feed hungry children in Cleveland, of which there are too many. And at a certain point, he felt called to join the Marines, which is a very unusual thing for someone with such a, a left-wing political sensibility. But he felt that the Marines would give him the training to go help people in the most desperate situations. Um, his, um, his mother said that he wanted the world to see Americans coming and offering aid 
And so he he thought of the Marines almost as both the military, obviously, organization, but also as a way to go into the most desperate situations with skills that could be useful. When he left the Marines, he fought fires out west he, in uh, Texas, Colorado, and I believe Utah. So he was he was he was a young man who would put his life on the line to take care of things. I think that that's in many ways the definition of a bodhisattva. Because part of me is like, our first precept is not to kill, non-harming, not killing. But I want to look at that precept um, a little more deeply. Not that I condone killing, but it is it is made me reconsider a, a, a deep commitment to pacifism. I, I'm both a Quaker and a Zen Buddhist. Um, this is this is my my comfort level, and I have been discomfited by looking at the series events. Um, so in November, he was he felt. He was hearing about what was happening to the children in Ukraine. His mother said that that was a major (sighs) trouble on his heart is what was going on to the children there. And he he signed up for the international um, uh, forces, the International Legion, I believe, um, for Ukraine. And he signed up for a certain term and it was supposed to end in March. And then he... He couldn't leave. He he continued on, um, and friends here in Cleveland. He told them he wouldn't. Um, he'd be hard to reach for a while, and then it became. Then his family was notified that he had been killed um, in um, Bakhmut. Uh, he was killed with two other young men. Um, Binbar Kaverki um, of Ireland and Dmitry Petrov, a Russian national, were killed in the same perhaps moment. They were killed in an ambush with mortar fire. Um, and they were defending um, the road of life, allowing civilians and injured other injured soldiers to be evacuated. When he spoke to his mother, he was he was trying to explain to her historically in, in a way that she might understand um, and talked about um, the uh, Spanish Civil War and and Hemingway in, in the Spanish Civil War. And she says, oh, so you're going to drive ambulances. And he's like, no, I don't think so. He was preparing her. Now. I read the things that he was saying and it's the first Dharma talk I gave was about examining your stories, examining our, our, what we tell ourselves. And there's just so much young man rhetoric in it. This idealistic rhetoric that as an older woman, I go, Oh, he was so young, but he was also so so 
filled with a desire to help and to usher forth a world of love. Um, the other two men, um, Finbar, um, had, um, had started off driving supplies to the front line and then was drawn into being on the front line. And um, Dmitry Petrov was, uh, had his PhD in history and anthropology and had been protesting within Russia. And then when it was clear that he was a person of interest and would probably be yanked from the streets soon, he went to Kiev. This is in, um, I believe, 2018. And then the oppressive regime came to him and he said, this is where I'll stand. Um, so I asked myself, what does my Zen training, how does it help me in a situation like this? It, and one of the things I came to is, um, is Suzuki Roshi, uh, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, um, Original Buddhism. And I'd like to read a little section here. Because it's a, it, this is original Buddhism, and it was about not having one school or another, that there's just one, one form. Um, because Buddha was the founder of the teaching, people tentatively called his teaching Buddhism. But actually, Buddhism is not some particular teaching. Buddhism is just truth, which includes various truths in it. Zazen practice is the practice which includes the various activities of life. So actually, we do not emphasize the sitting posture alone. How to sit is how to act. We study how to act by sitting. And this is the most basic activity for us. That is why we practice Zazen in this way. Um, and then going on to say, to do something, to live in each moment, means to be the temporal activity of Buddha. To sit in this way is to become Buddha himself, to be as the historical Buddha was. The same thing applies to everything we do. Everything is Buddha's activity. So whatever you do, or even if you keep from doing something, Buddha is in that activity. Because people have no such understanding of Buddha. They think what they do is most important thing without knowing who it is that is actually doing it. People think that they are doing various things, but actually Buddha is doing everything. And I think of Cooper and Finbar and Dimitri as Buddha activity, that if everything is Buddha activity, that was Buddha activity. And I can get to that point but I but here's where my conundrum comes in is Putin Buddha activity I I'm just going to share my struggles with y'all um the Kanzeon um verse we chanted I picked it because I don't know how to um 
enter into that teaching because when you call upon Kanzeon, the fire pits don't turn into pools uh, or to my, to my karmically conditioned eyes, they don't. So there's, there's something else there. I, I, I have faith that there is something else there that is not obvious to this karmically conditioned self. One of the things that was um, that occurred at the funeral was a, a friend of um, Cooper's led um, the group in um, Bella Chow. Um, Bella Chow is a, a song from Italy from the early part of the 1900s or the 20th century. And it originated as a protest song amongst women who were uh, forced to, to work in horrendous conditions. And it was used as a song of protest to strike for like, get them out of the rice paddies more than, except for like eight hours a day. So they wanted to shorten their hours and the way they were treated. It was backbreaking. Bella Chow means, Bella Chow means goodbye, my beauty. Because every day they were working, their beauty was drained away. Some of these women ended up um, being part of the resistance um, during World War II, and it turned into a revolutionary song. And, and they changed the words. So they taught the song to the people who were resisting the fascists and changed the words. And at one point, it's um, when I die, you know, I'm going to be fighting and I'm probably going to die. And when that happens, um, dig a grave up on the mountain, dig a grave upon the mountain and in the shadow of a beautiful flower. And another thing I'm, I'm caught with is this juxtaposition of people dying in battle and flowers. Um, there's the where have all the flowers gone cyclic song that starts with flowers, ends with young men dying, and then flowers coming again. Part of the Shobu Genzo that I studied um, a number of years ago um, in Bloomington with um, Shohaku Okamura um, was about kuge, the flowers of emptiness. And let's see. I'm sorry. I put much too much into this talk, um, and I'm afraid that I will be losing things. But um, let's see here. Well, I'm just going to recite my understanding of Kuge, which, again, I have found quite useful a concept. So there's a, a verse of the Buddha about people who have cataracts or have an eye disease will see 
flowers in the sky. But if their disease is cured, then they will be able to see clearly again, which seems like a very straightforward analogy for delusion. And then Dogen turns it and he turns it beautifully. And, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm not quoting anymore. I'm, I'm just, I'm just sharing my, the, what understanding has penetrated this thick skull. (laughs) And um, so instead of thinking that those, those flowers in the sky don't matter or are unreal, that the true person who has a clouded vision has a chance to awaken. That there is, in loving these images in the sky, which is um, a relative reality, right? So, so perhaps the empty sky is, is the ultimate, but we live in this conditioned reality. And if we don't take care of it and we don't love our eyes for being able to see these flowering blossoms, then we're missing the point. Then we, we have a, a useless understanding of Buddhism um, and maybe too strong, but um, that's what is rising for me. So another place I went for um, some understanding is um, uh, Thomas Clary's um, Zen Under the Gun, which was about Zen masters from turbulent times, that Zen arose in difficult times. And I just want to, to read the beginning of the introduction. Imagine a world at war generation after generation. A heavily militarized empire reigns supreme, planting its garrisons in country after country, plundering resources, subjugating populations, killing and maiming at will, ruthlessly destroying the cities and towns of anyone who dares to resist. The empire claims that heaven has given its lords dominion over all the lands and peoples of the earth, the right to rule, the power to decide who survives and who dies. The proof? They're all conquering armies. What other proof is needed? Might makes right. In the conquered countries, the people face choices. For the humble people, the farmers and artisans who produce the crops and all things useful, the only hope is that the new rulers will not enslave them and their children or take their food from their mouths and drive them to ruin. For the well-born people, the educated people, there is the option to retain their privileges by going to work for the conquerors, to sing their praises, to staff their bureaucracies. The conquerors, too, suffer distortion. At the top, there is constant intrigue and struggle as the commanders fight each other for the richest share of the loot. The original warrior bands become more and more hierarchical as they gorge themselves on the spoils of war and the war chiefs take the lion's share. 
back home, the families of the fighters, off on distant expeditions, are left adrift. And if and when the men come back, they return habituated to violence and mayhem. Does it take much effort for us today to imagine such a world? He asks. And this was the world where Zen flowered. Zen was a response to this activity. And is useful in in figuring out how to live in this reality, in this Saha world. Um, I found um, a lot of wisdom in Alan Sanaki's talk several weeks ago, um, where he talks about the Virmalakirti Sutra. Um, it was very useful to me as I was developing this talk. It says that these great bodhisattvas in, wa- in war stay focused on love. Um, in a great battle, they don't choose sides. And yet the young men that I'm holding up as bodhisattvas, maybe they're bodhis- baby bodhisattvas because they chose a side, because the injustice was so clear, because the cruelty they felt a need to stop with their own bodies. Uh, another thing from Alan's talk is how do we learn to make the right choices? And one of them is that we, we find our way to the right choices by making wrong choices. And I don't know if Cooper made a wrong choice or not. I tend, again, I have tended to rest in the non-killing, that that non-harming, non-killing, and the activities of his was killing. And I think of the the story, there's a story of the Buddha who was on a a previous birth of the Buddha, not the shocking, not the historical Buddha, but Buddha was on a boat and there was a murderer on the boat who was going to kill everybody. And because of Buddha's omniscient powers, he saw that. And so killed the murderer to prevent the murder of the other hundred people on the boat. And that's skillful action. So I'm thinking that maybe This little nut is heavy enough. And I'd love to hear any comments, questions, insights from anybody else. So I want to leave time for that. But I'd like to end with one of my favorite uh, Dharma teacher, teachers, um, uh, Mary Oliver. And it's a relatively long poem. And I don't know why this resonates for me about this topic, but it resonates with me. There's certain things that are obvious, but this is her poem, To Begin With, The Sweet Grass. Will the hungry ox stand in the field and not eat of the sweet grass? 
Will the owl bite off its own wings? Will the lark forget to lift its body in the air or forget to sing? Will the rivers run upstream? Behold, I say, behold, the reliability and the finery and the teachings of this gritty earth gift. Eat bread and understand comfort. Drink water and understand delight. Visit the garden where the scarlet trumpets are opening their bodies for the hummingbirds who are drinking the sweetness, who are thrillingly gluttonous. For one thing leads to another. Soon you will notice how stones shine underfoot. Eventually, tides will be the only calendar you believe in. And someone's face, whom you love, will be as a star, both intimate and ultimate. And you will hear, and you will be both heart-shaken and respectful. And you will hear the air itself, like a beloved, whisper, Oh, let me for a while longer enter the two beautiful bodies of your lungs. I'll read that again. And you will hear the air itself, like a beloved, whisper, Oh, let me for a while longer Enter the two beautiful bodies of your lungs. The witchery of living is my whole conversation with you, my darlings. All I can tell you is what I know. Look and look again. The world is not just a little thrill for the eyes. It's more than bones. It's more than the delicate wrist with its personal pulse. It's more than the beating of the single heart. It's praising. It's giving until the giving feels like receiving. You have a life. Just imagine that. You have this day and maybe another and maybe still another. Someday I'm going to ask my friend Paulus, the dancer, the potter, to make me a begging bowl, which I believe my soul needs. And if I come to you, to the door of your comfortable house with unwashed clothes and uncleaned fingernails, will you put something into it? I would like to take this chance. I would like to give you this chance. We do one thing or another. We stay the same or we change. Congratulations if you have changed. Let me ask you this. Do you think that beauty exists for some fabulous reason? And if you have not been enchanted by this adventure, your life, what would do for you? What I loved in the beginning, I think, was mostly myself. Never mind that I had to, since somebody had to. That was many years ago. Since then, I have gone out of my confinements, though with difficulty. I mean the ones that thought to rule my heart. I cast them out. I put them on the mush pile. They will be nourishment somehow. Everything is nourishment somehow or another. And I have become the child of the clouds and of hope. I have become the friend of the enemy whoever that is. 
I have become older and cherishing what I have learned. I have become younger. And what do I risk to tell you this, which is all I know? Love yourself. Then forget it. Then love the world. So thank you, my friends, on this Memorial Day, paying tribute to the people who run towards that hell. Thank you, Co. Very moving talk. Comments, responses, questions, please feel free. I'll, I'll say something, just uh, there was so much in your talk and um, I'm so sorry for your loss. And yes, young man, I was one once. <laughs> uh, <laughs> run off to uh, help the world and mm-hmm. sometimes make mistakes. And who who's to know what is a mistake? Um, you mentioned uh, Dogen's Kuge, which I've been studying some, and um, the, the flowers in the sky, which in one definition is cataracts, is also the flowering of the sky and the flowering of emptiness and something that we uh, can cherish. So um, uh, I don't, I don't like war. <laughs> My whole life has been colored by war, which I haven't participated in, but um, except to, to oppose it. But I mm-hmm. appreciate your your young friend's um, attempt to, to help. Mm-hmm. And uh, please, uh, others here. Comments, responses. Thank you very much for your talk. Sorry that your friend died. Louder, please. I was thinking. I've never lived in a in a in a war area or an area that was at war, and in a sense, it's a luxury to. That's a real luxury because you don't have to make that decision about what are you going to defend and what are you not going to defend her. And I, you know, I know we hear about war in the Sudan and Ukraine and Yemen and all over, but it's, I think it's hard growing up in America to know what that really means because we've never had that in our, you know, we've never, even in World War II, we weren't uh, bombed like Europe or other parts of the world. 
But I don't think it's something we can really understand what that's about, what that means. And I don't think we can appreciate the devastation that happens. Yeah, I will confess that um, I was uh, uh, averting my eyes from the Ukraine. I, I, I saw the pain over there and I was just moving on with my life here. And having one young man, it was so interesting, having one person that we knew personally and who, who, who was deeply a deep friend with my daughter. Um, I have a, it opened my heart to Ukraine. Um, in a, a way that I hadn't been before. There's something about that personal connection. And, and as you say, Jerry, we haven't experienced here, so we don't know how to open our heart or, or it's, it's not intuitive for us. It's not experiential for us. Yeah. I wanted to call on Ken, who's a veteran I know, and I don't know if you have any responses, Ken. Ken, you're on mute. Okay. Am I? You're good now. Okay. Thank you for the talk, uh, Co. and thank you, uh, Tygen. The, um, uh, yeah, this is Memorial Day, and um, I was a medic with the Marine Corps in uh, in the Vietnam situation, and actually I had tried to avoid the service by -hmm. joining the military, but I you know, didn't, I forgot a few details, did not cross eyes. And so I ended up, you know, in the middle of the situation and the, um, uh, it's, you know, the, um, uh, it is, you know, you think of the book, the, the bridge at San Luis Ray, where there's a, a friar does an analysis of the people who are killed, all good people, just, when a bridge collapsed, that kind mm-hmm. of a classic, and um, uh, and I guess it seems like partially the background on this is that uh, uh, if if this was a good fellow with good intentions, why did he uh, uh, suffer the fate that he did? And um, the um, and for me, after being in the service, Buddhism. Uh, made a lot of sense in that it's not as more, to my understanding, it's not as moralistic as uh, some traditional religions, and it becomes more of a karmic situation. And um, uh, your friend chose to enter a particular arena, and the uh, and and that is the nature. The, the nature of the world is samsara, life and death, mm-hmm. and the. Uh, you can be a medical doctor with the best of intentions to help people and everything. But in your training, people, they will, you'll screw up and you will kill people and mm-hmm. the, with the best of intention. And the, uh, so this is to my understanding, an event kind of in that realm of uh, uh, good intentions, but there's kind of an overriding situational karma that uh, yeah. uh, transcends the, the undoubted goodness of the person. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, so the, uh, 
I don't I don't think it's very consoling, perhaps, but uh, uh, it's hard to say. But uh, but I, I do feel for for your loss. Thank you. And your daughter's loss. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yes. Um, thank you for a really thoughtful and thought provoking talk, Co. I, um, what comes to mind for me is the realization that because we are, you know, so intertwined and, and we have dependent co-arising, we all are complicit with killing, even if we, it's a, it's a, it's a mistake to think that we can uphold, you know, the first precept. Um, we are, we are just as complicit with what's happening in Ukraine as, as with any place. And, um, you know, we, we all bear some responsibility. So I don't know that we can say, you know, this person should do this and this person should do that. Yeah. We're, we're just in there together. I was thinking of, um, one of, one of, one of the cons that I really like, which is, um, I'm not going to remember the full context, but it's, uh, if a speck of dust is raised, the community will flourish, but the elders will furrow their brows. And if a speck of dust is not raised, the community will perish, but the elders will be at peace. So who are the people who will live together and die together? And I think that really speaks mm. to how we are all in this together. And um, we, are, we are acting in ways that we may not really even see. And particularly if we think we're not, you know, acting in this realm, then we really don't see them. At least, you know, your, your friend was decisive and was making an effort with their best intention to do something good. And I'm sorry that such a person has been lost. Yeah, I think that one of the things that kind of tears is I would be very interested to see who he became at 50. I would love to see how he had matured because again, he had this deep heart of caring compassion. Um, Oh, I I guess again, he's just so young and, and we won't see that. Well, what you said about him as a middle schooler was just, you know, beyond anything that I would expect of a middle schooler. Yeah. Oh, and and I'll tell you one other story about it. it The funeral is fascinating because all the kids, all his friends were telling these stories about him. And one was he actually, um, he, he was electronically savvy and he created a bug. This was in middle school. He created a bug that he got into the electronic system of the lunch ladies so that they couldn't tell who owed money or who didn't. So every kid got a free lunch that day um, is, was his intention. So, so they, there was not the kids who owed money and the kids who didn't. It was like, oh, they couldn't tell. Um, this was an amazing young person. Um, and the other word I just want to say with all of this, the word that came up most often to describe him was goofy, that he had this... <laughs> goofy sense of humor that wrapped this serious heart, this serious loving heart. So 
Code, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for sharing with us your grief and just sitting in the mystery of of that. Yeah. Um, I, I really, I really, really appreciate your sharing that tender, um, those tender feelings and and, and thoughts and, and your wisdom. Um, what a remarkable story! I mean. Um, in, in my profession as a college professor, I've certainly encountered a lot of idealistic young people, and some of them have gone into the military, but I've never heard of that. I've never heard of someone that, like this person you described, and I, I'm having the thought, what percentage would it take of the people in the world to have that attitude for, for more or less all the injustices in the world to be stamped out? Because enough people would go and just say, stop that. That's enough of that. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. It's really amazing to think about. I also think that there, there has to be, I mean, that, that bodhisattva energy, that samantabhadra protective energy yeah. is everywhere in the world. It's the reason that, that we can walk down the street. Um, yeah. Safety ever. So that, you know, that, that energy is always, is always here. Thank you for sharing with us the story of this remarkable young man and keeping his memory alive and sharing him with, with our sangha. And thank you for receiving him because he deserves to be known. Oh, thank you again. I have to say something else um, because so many young men usually mm-hmm. have died in wars senselessly in many cases. And what would they have been at 50? That, that was, that's a lovely way to say it. Mm-hmm. I have to also say that this Ukraine situation, um, the way to really take care of the U- people of Ukraine who are under attack is to find peace, Yeah, to find a truce. So as a, a pacifist uh, myself, I, or at least, at least someone who advocates for peace, um, Part of the problem, you know, also just going back to what Jerry was saying, we're not in the middle of a war zone. And yet for our for the children going to school who have to do active fire drills, active shooter drills and um, uh, for people in Chicago who uh, are subject to. random shootings or gang shootings, whatever. Um, It's a difficult world. And I I totally respect this young man trying to do something to help. Mm -hmm. And I believe that our government is not acting to try and bring peace in Ukraine. Uh, It's become a proxy war for the United States. weapons makers against Russia and um, to advocate for peace would, I don't know how many young men's lives would be saved and and civilians in Ukraine who are living in a terror zone. Uh, so uh, it takes both sides and Putin's invasion was terrible in my opinion, but we have to, in our country, work for peace and truce and uh, it's really difficult, and 
Um, and uh, I appreciate hearing about this idealistic young man and so many um, young men and now young women are mm-hmm. uh, going to the military or go to go into terrible situations trying to help. And they are treasures. And uh, I think of all the school children killed with assault rifles in this country. And what would they all have become at 50? Yeah. Thank you so much for bringing yeah. this to us. Oh, and just okay. to, to piggyback on what Tygen uh, said, uh, the uh, I think diplomacy is underrated as a skill in terms of effectiveness at achieving peace. And uh, uh, I mean, there was a, there's a strong case for the art of diplomacy in places like the Ukraine. Uh, Professor Mearsheimer at the University of Chicago has some real interesting insights in terms of the uh, the diplomatic approach to that situation over the years, and uh, that may well be an area to look at for folks who are inclined to make a contribution uh, that's a little maybe less uh, traditional. So. Yeah. Thank you. 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 Thank you.